0: As was announced, and you've sure got an email about this, but today we're going to be talking about the qualifications for elders. And the reason for that is this uh, congregation is going to go through a process of selecting more elders, at least that's our hope, and we hope that you'll keep the selection process in your prayers. But today especially, we hope that you'll pay very close attention, because we want to make sure that we get this right. Uh, The thing about a man being appointed an elder, as far as the Bible is concerned, there's no time limit on that, and so it's possible for a man to become an elder and be an elder for the rest of his life, and once you have an elder in place, it's very hard to remove that elder from that position, and uh, you want to make sure that if you are going to select someone to be an an elder of this congregation you need to make sure that you understand what those qualifications are. So you need to pay attention today. Uh, The verse that Fred read for us from Acts 20 and verse 28 points out something very, very important. In that text, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he's pointing out to them that the reason why they are elders is because the Holy Spirit appointed them. Now, that doesn't mean there was some kind of weird cosmic thing that took place. The point that Paul is making is that the Holy Spirit directed that congregation to select those men to be elders. And, of course, what he's talking about is how that is through the Holy Scriptures that we go and find what the qualifications of elders are. And there's two main passages that we're going to discover that discuss the qualifications of elders that the Holy Spirit has given us. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 and Titus chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. And what our plan is this morning is to combine those two passages instead of looking at them directly, but combine those two passages to give us an overview of what the qualifications of elders are. Now this morning we first of all need to understand that there are three Greek words in the Greek New Testament that describe six different titles for elders. An elder can be called either a bishop, or he can be called an elder, he can be called an overseer, he can be called a shepherd, or he can be called called a pastor. It is erroneous to refer to the preacher as a pastor. Nowhere in the New Testament does that describe someone who is a proclaimer of God's word. But instead that word is a derivative of the word that we get shepherd from and it only describes someone who is an elder in the Lord's church. I know our denominational friends get this wrong sometimes and refer to the preacher as the pastor, but that is only referring to the Lord's elders. Now, what I want to do today as we combine these two passages is I want us to kind of look at this as a resume, if you will. Uh, Look at it from the standpoint, uh, if a man was uh, wanting to uh, apply for the job, if you will, and it is a job because there is hard work involved, there are some sleepless nights involved, there are some tears involved, but I want to look at this from a standpoint of a resume and just kind of break it down into different aspects of what might be on a resume for this particular type of job. And so we're going to spend our time doing that today as we combine these two passages and we hope that we can do, do justice to God's word in explaining what is meant uh, by these qualifications. Now I want you to keep in mind as we look at these qualifications that there are some that are not specific in nature but yet talk about generalities and in those particular uh, qualifications, we need to always use our best judgment because there's not something you can always specifically say that this is the case, but you have to use your own best judgment of whether or not a man fits this particular situation. But there's also qualifications that you can point to and say, yes, this is the case, or no, it's not the case. So we have a combination of things we'll be looking at today. But the very first thing we want to look at today as far as this resume is concerned And the Bible spends a lot of time, the Holy Spirit spends a lot of time talking about the qualifications of an elder and what his character needs to be uh, like. And in fact, the Holy Spirit spends more time on this than he does on any other qualification. And so we'll spend a lot of time on it this morning. And by the way, I don't know if you're expecting some kind of, of, of exciting sermon or some a homiletic masterpiece, but all I can do today is just tell you what the Scripture says and then you have to think about it and reflect upon it. But the very first thing as far as character is concerned is both passages tell us that they need to be blameless and without reproach. Now obviously this does not mean sinless because of the fact that all men have to deal with sin. All men are not perfect and therefore we have to uh, keep in mind that all men will make mistakes but the idea behind this particular qualifications is that there are no charges or accusations can, that can be proven. There's not something that somebody can point to and say, well, you know, uh, this is the situation with this man and I'm not comfortable with it. And therefore, that's the idea of blameless there. It's not the idea of being sinless because all of us have blame we have to deal with. But it's not a continuing charge or accusation that can be proven. And I'm... Obviously, I can't spend a lot of time on all these, so we're going to have to move along, but that's the idea that's presented there. It says that the, that the elder, as far as his character is concerned, needs to be sober or sober-minded. Literally, out of the Greek, it's the idea of one who has a sound mind. Sober here is not talking about sobriety. It's talking about of soundness. In other words, obviously, an elder needs to be someone who makes good decisions. Oftentimes an eldership has to deal with some very delicate situations. Oftentimes elders have to deal with decisions that will impact this congregation for many generations down the road. And so you want someone who can make good decisions, that's clear thinking, that thinks out the whole process, that doesn't jump off, uh, off the gun, if you will, or shoot off the gun and make a, a, a poor decision because they're in too big a hurry. It needs to be someone who is of sound mind. An elder needs to be given to hospitality. Literally in the Greek, it's the idea of loving a stranger. So in other words, an elder needs to be someone who knows how to fellowship. Oftentimes, there's an idea among preachers, and we joke about this, that a good preacher knows how to work the room. And what they mean by that is a a preacher knows how to go around the room and see people and shake hands with them and talk to them and that kind of thing. Well, an elder needs to be the epitome of that. Because he has the opportunity for, first of all, getting to know the congregation. And so they have to spend some time with that congregation. And therefore, they need to fellowship with that congregation. But also, there's the idea of the fact that they need to set the example when it comes to visitors. If there's anybody that should treat our visitors the way they need to be treated, it should be the eldership. Because they are the standard, they are the emblem, if you will, of this particular congregation. They represent this congregation. And so obviously, an elder needs to be a people person. They cannot be someone who stands off in the corner and never talks to anyone. And as both Timothy and and Titus tell us, through the writings of Paul and the Holy Spirit, they need to be given to hospitality. But another aspect of character is that they need to be temperate or vigilant. In other words, they need to be watchful and alert. They need to know what's happening in the world and in the church. And the reason for that is that they are concerned for the welfare of the church. An elder cannot stick his head in the sand and pretend like there's nothing going on in the world, or he cannot stick his head in the sand and pretend like there's nothing going on in the church, but they need to keep up with current events. They need to keep up with what's going on in the brotherhood, if you will so they can be able to make a stand if necessary or know what needs to be done in a congregation to deal with the different things that might happen both in the world and in the church because above all, the shepherds of the flock are concerned with the welfare of the church. But also, as far as character is concerned, they need to be of good behavior or some translations say orderly. And literally what that means in the Greek is that a person needs to have a well-ordered life. In other words, there does not need to be any turmoil in a person's life if they're going to be an elder. They need to be someone who has their habits down, their language down, their work down. It all shows order. There's not chaos in their life. And the reason for that is obvious. If there's chaos in the elder's life and he has to deal with that, Well, then how is he going to deal with perhaps the chaos that may come up in the church? He may say, well, I can't deal with the problems in the church because I've got my own problems to deal with. So he needs to have a well-ordered life. You get the idea from the King James is talking about behavior here. Well, it is, but it's about having his life in control, that everything shows order. Also, there's the idea that an elder needs to be gentle or patient. In other words, he can't be easily angered or provoked. He can't seek revenge. He knows how to be kind and understanding. Uh, one of the things about being an elder is you've got to have a very strong, thick back because there are going to be people that are going to talk about you. There are going to be people who will say unkind things about you. There will be people who will have you for lunch after service is Sunday, and you're not even there, but they're, they're having you for lunch. My point is... When that happens, you can't be somebody who gets mad about it and say, well, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make sure that person gets there. I'm going to make that person's life miserable. But no, you need to try to be kind and understanding. You need to give that person the benefit of the doubt. You can't be someone who is easily angered or provoked if you're going to be an elder. Also, you need to be a lover of good. Uh, Some translations have a lover of good men. And I think it's important you point out that the word men is not in the original text. It was added in some translations. But it just simply means, it's very self-explanatory, that it simply means that an elder needs to be someone who loves that which is good. And we all should love those things in this world today that are good instead of those things which are evil. Also, Titus tells us that an elder needs to be just. And that is one who is fair and impartial, one who is free from prejudice, and one who is fair and honest in all his dealings with people. In other words, we can't play favorites in the Lord's congregation. You can't treat one uh, person different from another person. But instead, you need to try to treat all your members, regardless of who they are, in the right kind of way. You need to be always fair and honest. But also, there's something interesting in Titus' qualifications, and that is that an elder needs to be holy. And we hear the word holy, and we think, uh, several different things. Most of the time we think about the word hagios, which is the most, the, mostly the way the word holy is used in the New Testament. Uh, and it means separate or sanctified. But here in Titus, we have a different Greek word for holy. That's the uh, Greek word "hosis," which means to be right religiously. So we're not talking about being holy in the sense that perhaps God is holy, though he would fit here. But it's the idea that when it comes to religion, you need to be right in that religion. And so it describes one who attends all the church services and functions and is not polluted by denominationalism. In other words, an elder, if there was ever anyone in the church that someone could say, well, he's right religiously as far as this church is concerned. He is someone who is a part of this church and is active in this church, and he's involved in all the different aspects of the church and its functions, and he does not let denominationalism pollute him. That's what it means with the idea of hostis there. As I said, it's a different word for that we normally use for holy, which is the word hagios. But also talking about his character is talking about someone who is not violent. Uh, some translations say no striker. In other words, he does not strike back at anyone who disagrees with him or is ugly to him. He controls his temper. And to be honest with you, there are some times where it would be very easy for an elder to lose his temper because of some of the things that people do, because of some of the things that people say, because of some of the ways that elders are treated oftentimes, even though they're trying to do the very best that they can do, they cannot use that as an opportunity to strike back at someone or be ugly to that person. They can control their temper, uh, maybe even sometimes in conversations that are private, discussing something, situation with, an, with a member also the Bible tells us that a qualification of an elder is that he uh, is not covetous, no lover of money. Uh, Titus gives us the idea of not greedy for money or not greedy of filthy lucre. And basically that's talking about the idea that he gains his income honestly. And also there's behind it the idea of he is someone who is not a lover of money and that he knows or understands what the purpose of money is, that he is going to be someone who leads the way in giving as he has prospered as far as the congregation is concerned. If we want the congregation to give in the way that the Bible describes, certainly elders should take the lead in that, and they should be the very best givers in the congregation. And the reason being is they understand the proper order of things and that every good gift does come from God, that we're simply stewards of it, and therefore an elder is not materialistic. Also, an elder is not quarrelsome, not a brawler, In other words, he's not a troublemaker. He does not carry a chip on his shoulder, always looking to be offended or upset. Uh, Sometimes we run into people that uh, it seems like that uh, whatever may be said to them or whatever may happen to them, they take it the wrong way and think of it as a personal attack. They think that if somebody may even say something good about somebody uh, that they're associated with, they might take it the wrong kind of way. But an elder doesn't look at it from that standpoint. He tries to put the best face on things. He doesn't carry a chip on his shoulder and always looking for a reason to take it the wrong kind of way and be offended. The Bible says not given to wine in in some translations. The King James, uh, the Titus uh, refers to it as no brawler. And that might confuse some people how those two are related. But the idea... And I'm just going to give you some different translations of of how different uh, lexicons and whatnot translate this uh, because there's so much discussion about this. But the reason why those two uh, versions have not given to wine no brawler is because it can be translated not ready to fight as one given to wine. In other words, someone who is inebriated may be more easily to fight. And that's the reason why it comes out that way in Titus' version of it. But the idea, literally from the Greek... Um, go up and look different translations of this, is the idea of not addicted to wine, does not stay near it. And that's literally what it says in the, in the actual Greek. Not self will, He does not get his own way. He's not arrogant. He, he is a team player. And obviously, the Bible describes that the eldership has to be a plurality. It has to be more than one person in order to have an eldership. So that means you're a part of a team. That means sometimes you might say, Well, I understand that this is what I think might be best, but after talking to the other elders, we decide that that, uh, maybe for the good of the congregation, I need to be thinking about it their way. He is a team player. He's not arrogant in thinking that he has the one that he is the only one that has uh, the answer. Uh, Flores character, once again, this is another emphasis in Titus's. Uh, explanation of the qualifications, not one who is quick-tempered and not one who is soon angry. And that's pretty much what we've described already, so there's no point in going in any explanation on that. Well, as you think about character, we need to move to another aspect of what we might call this resume, and that is the idea of reputation. If you're going to turn in a resume for an elder, you need to think about the man's reputation. And the Bible describes it this way through the Holy Spirit that he must have good testimony among those who are outside, must be of good report of them which are without. And that's the way two different translations translate it from Titus chapter 3 and verse 7. (coughs) Excuse me. But obviously all it's talking about is the fact that those outside the church who know him must consider him to be a good and honest man. In other words, people outside this congregation that know him in the neighborhood, that know him at work, that know him from other Uh, functions, maybe with his kids or whatnot, know him to be a good man and an honest man. He has a good report from those who are outside the church. And once again, I apologize for going through these so fast, but I don't think you want to be here till 2 o'clock today. Next on the resume would be the idea of experience. And certainly when anybody wants to apply for a job, you want to approve to your employer, and this would be the case with the church, so here's someone who has experience in doing what he's going to be doing. And therefore, the Bible describes this man, as far as experience is concerned, as not a novice. Some translations have not a new convert. Literally, in the Greek, it's the idea of not newly planted. And that can be used a variety of different ways. It's the idea, first, that the person can't be a new Christian. They were just baptized yesterday and become an elder the next day. But it also carries with it the idea that the person who's appointed to be an elder needs to be someone who has been with the congregation long enough to understand and appreciate the different aspects and characteristics of that congregation. So not only is it not a new convert, it's also someone who is not a new member, even though they may have been baptized many years ago. So it's an experienced Christian who has experience with this congregation. That's the kind of experience that an elder needs to have. But then there's another aspect that the Holy Spirit puts a lot of emphasis on and we need to spend some time on this today because the Holy Spirit says there's something important because of the fact that the church is like a family. We're referred to as brothers and sisters. Uh, An elder needs to have experience dealing with a family. So the first thing that the Bible points out is that in order for a man to be an elder and has to be a man as obviously we have the husband of one wife Only men can be elders. In fact, every single pronoun in both of these scriptures are always in the masculine case, knowing that we're talking about men. And this is not a lesson on uh, why women can't be elders, but I want to point out the fact that men only can be elders. But it says that the person needs to be the husband of one wife. In other words, he must be scripturally married. In other words, he can't be a polygamous. And he needs to be married if he's going to be pointed as an elder. And if you have a trouble understanding what scripturally married mean, all we have to simply do is turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And I want us to take a moment to look at this because I think this is important to clear up any idea of what it means to be scripturally married. I want you to notice that the Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause or any reason? They're testing Jesus because of the fact there were two rabbis that were living during the time of Jesus. One said you cannot divorce your wife except it be for fornication. And the other one said you could divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever. If she burned the biscuits or you didn't like her, you got up one morning and thought she was ugly, you could tell her to get out of the house. And so he's, testing, he's they're testing him to try to see which side he is going to pick so he could, they can could attack him from the other side. But notice what, he, what, what goes on here. He says he answered... Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become so one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What Therefore God hath joined together, let not man separate. Now notice what's going on here. They asked him if there was a reason, if there was a reason to get a divorce for any cause. And notice how he answers. He says that once a person is married, they are one flesh. And once they are one flesh, God has joined them together, and there's no way man can separate those people. He's basically saying, because of what happens here in the next verse, verse 7, I don't care how many pieces of paper you get. I don't care what the state may say. I don't care what the federal government may say. God says that once you're married, you're married for life. And that's God's covenant he has created with you and you cannot tear that covenant apart until you die except for one reason. After they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give you a certificate of divorce to send her away, talking about pieces of paper? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This is God's plan. And he says, and I, now, at verse 9, and I say to you, whosoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, the King James Version uses fornication, and the, idea, the word there is pornea, which can, this means any kind of sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. In other words, you're committing adultery because you're still married to your first wife. Why? Because what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. God has joined you together. You can't separate it no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many pieces of paper you say it. The only thing that breaks the covenant of marriage between God and His people is the idea of death or the idea of sexual immorality. If someone is married to someone else, and this is the Scripture speaking, and, and has not divorced the wife or husband for, for their sexual immorality, as far as God is concerned... Uh, you are no longer a one-man woman or a one-woman man, but you are in the case of polygamy. And that's the reason why you need this scripture need to be pointed out and pointed out very clearly because there is some misunderstanding from that. This is what the Bible says. This is not what Jim says. This is what the Bible says. But once again, for review, they ask the question, can you get divorced for any reason? Jesus says no. Once God has joined you together, then you can't, man can't tear it apart. But the only thing that can happen is, except for the case of sexual immorality, then you can divorce your wife. But Another thing about domestic relationships is that a person who's going to be an elder needs to rule his own house well, having children in submission with all reverence. In other words, his home is the proving ground as a service as an elder. He must have obedient children who submit to them. The Greek word for child and children are used interchangeably in the Scripture to include one or more than one. For example, we even do that in the English today. If you walk up to someone who only has one child, you will say, do you have any children? Well, if they took the question literally, you would say, they would have to say no because I only have one child. But we understand the word children sometimes means either single or plural, so you can answer that question honestly even if you have one and that's the case with the Greek word here. It's interchangeably that one or more or more than one. The emphasis is not on how many children a man, man may have, but the emphasis is on what he has done with those children that he does have. And the point behind this particular qualification is if a man can't rule his own house, how in the world is he going to rule the house of God? And therefore, uh, this is the proving ground for an elder as to how he deals with his family. Having faithful children, children that believe. And obviously, uh, these are children who are faithful to the church, faithful to Christianity. Children that believe carry with it the idea that these are Christians. And those are brought out in both of those particular scriptures that are given to us. But then there's the idea of knowledge that we need to talk about on this, on this resume. And if an elder, if a man's going to be an elder, he certainly has to be someone who has some biblical knowledge. It just seems like that will go hand in hand, and therefore the scriptures are very um, clear on that. There's the idea, first of all, that they need to be apt to teach, as 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 tells us. In other words, he must have an accurate and comprehensive knowledge of the Bible to be able to convey it. In other words, there are men sometimes who would be very good men as far as leadership is concerned, As far as organization and management skills, they may be very good managers of the congregation. But the Bible says in order to be an elder, you need to be somebody who knows the Bible. You need to be accurate in what you know about the Bible. You need to be comprehensive in what you know about the Bible. The term shepherd or pastor indicates that the elder needs to be someone who is able to feed the sheep. And how can you feed the sheep if you're on the same level as they are and have a lesser understanding of God's word than they do? And so, as I believe it was Frankie pointed out not too long ago when he was standing up here, how that when a person gets up before the congregation and teaches, that gives him an opportunity to learn more about God's Word than the average person does. Anybody who has taught a Bible class understands that when they go into that Bible class, they have spent far more study than perhaps anybody in that particular class and they know about it, at least at that current point in time, than anybody else does in the Bible class. Or at least they should always have that confidence. And that's the idea here. That if a person is, has the ability or the willingness to teach, it's because they have an accurate and comprehensive knowledge of the Bible and they're able to uh, tell that to other people. But also, uh, there's holding fast the faithful word. In other words, the uh, elder needs to be sound in his doctrine. Because he is apt to teach and he has a knowledge of God's word, he is able to understand that there are some things that just aren't sound doctrine. Uh, There's a lot of different things in the denominational world that that oftentimes um, uh, are taught just as being God's gospel, but an elder knows the difference between those things. Um, Just off the top of my head, for example, the rapture. Uh, That's a big thing in denominationalism now. But folks, the rapture is not true. That is false doctrine. And an elder needs to be willing to stand up against that. The idea that a person doesn't need to be baptized in order to be saved, he needs to have an understanding of that and being able to be sound on that particular doctrine. When it comes to other aspects of doctrine, he needs to be willing uh, to uh, know, know what it is and be able to make a stand for it because look at the very next qualification that's given. He must be able to convince the gainsayers. And that's a very important aspect of an elder. In other words, he needs to be a man who can stand his ground when it comes to the truth. He has the ability to defeat false doctrine. And the the, the King James uses the word gainsayer here with the idea of the fact that somebody comes in the congregation and tries to take advantage of the congregation or get his way, if you will, to have gain, if you will, by the things that he is speaking because he wants to promote a particular doctrine or hobby, if you will, in the church that is, that is false doctrine, well, the eldership needs to be able to go to that person and say, listen, you are wrong because this is what the scriptures say. And it goes back to the fact that they're apt to teach and that they are someone who holds to sound doctrine because they are people who are able to convince the gainsayers that they are wrong. They have the ability to, f- to defeat false doctrine. And folks, if you don't know your Bible, <laughs> there's no way you're going to defeat uh, false doctrine the qualifications of the of the elders uh, went through it very quickly today because I uh, don't have the time to go through it And I going through it quicker than I needed to but I was scared about finishing up in time but I want you to go back if you will again and look at these particular passages very closely read them again and again and again if you would like a copy of this particular powerpoint I'll be glad to mail it to you so you can go through the things I went through very quickly But let me stress to you how important it is that you have an understanding of what the Bible says. It's not about personal feelings. It's not about how you may feel about a, a person and whether or not you think this person may be a good leader or that type of thing. But if we are going to have a scriptural eldership, we need to have elders that are appointed by the Holy Spirit or appointed by the Scriptures they have to fit the scriptural qualifications. And I've tried to do the best I can, could this morning, making it as clear and as understandable. Uh, and like I said, go back and read those scriptures once again. If you like a copy of this PowerPoint, I'd be more than happy to share it with you. But we hope that you'll keep this decision process in your prayers. And we hope before you put down a name on that particular piece of paper that you have carefully reflected upon what the Bible says. Because this is something that sometimes once it is done, it can't be undone. And we want to be very, very careful in what we do. Uh, We have not talked about salvation issues this morning, but we also want to give everyone the opportunity this morning. If you have a need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and becoming a Christian, I'll be glad to talk to you more about that. Or if you have some other need this morning, uh, we're here to help you because we love you and we want to do what's best best for you through God's kingdom. So if you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.